Welcome to Road Warrior Radio. You're tuned tuned in live this Thursday, October 23rd, 2008, or Friday, October 24th, 2008, depending on where you are. And uh, thanks for tuning in. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be able to uh, spend a little bit of time with you and hopefully give you a fresh perspective on information that's all around us and readily available. I've had some interesting conversations in the most recent few hours. Very, very interesting. And I have a a very exciting guest on the way this evening. And so I'm looking forward to that. And that is, uh, I think we're going to have some fun. I think that it's going to be a really interesting show. And... I think you'll really enjoy it, as I know I will. So, without further ado, uh, things are really uh, things are really uh, getting interesting. I'm just I'm I'm absolutely beside myself watching what's happening. I was, um, in fact, I was just having a conversation about um, Colin Powell's remarks, Joe Biden's remarks. I, I thought it was interesting. Not that I'm going to make a big deal about it, because if you know anything, uh, you listen to this show at all, you know how I feel about this issue. And I go back to uh, uh, Pike's letter to Mazzini, and as as you know, again, as a conversation I was having uh, earlier today and a couple of days ago goes, you know, even if that was a spurious document based on the, you know. Uh, the testimony of certain people, even going back to the turn of the 20th century, if that's the case, it's interesting how it's been followed to the letter over the last several decades. So it's a curious thing. But, you know, I'm referring to Biden's remarks about the fact that, yeah, he's a Zionist and he, you know, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. Of course, when I think of that, I think of... uh, As I said, uh, Pike's letter to Mazzini and the fact that this third world war was supposed to be fomented between political Zionism, which has come to be recognized as the state of Israel, the modern state of Israel, and um, Islam. And interestingly enough, I, I might just do a whole show on this. I was, I was going to 
probably leave some questions for my guests this evening. That'll be a lot of fun um, on this subject matter. But I was listening to John Hagee today. Uh, it was interesting, you know, who is America's self-proclaimed pastor. And uh, you folks down in Texas know, know who I'm talking about, the fellow in your backyard in San Antonio down there. And, um, you know, that's that's the kind of rhetoric that he's spouting. That's all that he's talking about is this, you know, contest between Israel and Islam. Oh, my goodness, we're overrun by Islamists. And, of course, Biden says that he's unabashedly a Zionist, and anybody can be a Zionist. Once again, and uh, as I said, thanks for coming along for the ride. And uh, it should be real interesting. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna belabor things too much. If you listen to this show, chances are you are familiar uh, with my guest this evening, and you're gonna want to hear what he has to say, and not hear me prattle on all evening. So, my guest this evening, of course, is Alan Watt, the host of Cutting Through the Matrix. On this network, the Republic Broadcasting Network, uh, three days a week, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 7 to 8 Central. And uh, if you are familiar at all with his work, you know that his uh, research is legendary. And um, he's a, a, a person who uh, I would say is a national treasure. He's... he's he the the information that is just massive and it spans uh, the uh, the expanse of recorded history uh, rolls off of his tongue uh, like it's second nature and it's he makes it sound so easy it's wonderful but he's been at it a long time um, and this is most recent um, life I guess you could say because. Uh, he did have uh, another life, I suppose you could say, in a manner of speaking. But as I said, without further ado, I uh, welcome Alan Watt on the show. Alan, thanks once again for coming on the show. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. Well, I suppose uh, a good place to start might be, you know, what we were just talking about. And I said, thank you for allowing me to steal some time away. And you said that uh, that's all we really have left at this point and not so much of that. Do you want to, should we keep that in the bag for a little bit or do you want to kind of lead off with that and expound on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think people today, an average person too, who who hasn't really been aware of the big machinations of the world and what's really going on with psychopolitics and the directions that society are being led into and led through and led towards, um, even they are feeling that there's something very, very wrong all around them. And there, there is their, is their ability for preservation that's kicking in. 
they realize that, the, that there are so many big pushes into their personal life, into their children's lives, uh, into the, the, the national life and international life uh, that isn't coming from them. They aren't pushing for anything themselves, but they're, they realize that they're big, powerful organizations. They often, the average person gets them confused with governmental bodies, but they're not really governmental bodies. They're private organizations and foundations that control thousands of other non-governmental organizations uh, which are pushing us all towards a, a set agenda in the world. And this, even this present economic crisis was no surprise to me because when you look back at the histories of economics and who runs the economic system, uh, now you're into to dangerous territory. It isn't just uh, big bankers like the Rothschilds. The Rothschilds are given protection by aristocracies that have already existed before the Rothschilds even came in through Europe as bankers. You'd understand that before we heard of MI5, MI6, CIA, or uh, the OSS, uh, there were already organizations which worked uh, for the British royalty and other uh, agencies throughout Europe and they had many different names one of them was the Secret Service in Britain still exists today it's higher than the other organizations and um, they've been running uh, Britain for instance for for hundreds of years on behalf of those who already hold power and we find for instance that in the 17 and 1800s top economists that were employed by these big uh, royal type or royal chartered organizations uh, top economists like Malthus came forward and put out his theory on, on basically depopulation, the need for drastic depopulation of the public and he elaborated and said that we will end this uh, industrial era, it won't go on forever and we'll have all these excess um, useless eaters, basically. And he devised ways of trying to cull off the population, uh, even down to putting them into the poor houses. And uh, they'd have people on the floor in the poor houses. They measured the distance between them to see how far. They knew how far, for instance, that lice would crawl from one person to the next and carry typhus and various other diseases. This was mm -hmm. a science that was already yeah. understood. Now, when we follow that down through, we find the same big organizations that had, had uh, global ambitions, again, centered primarily in Germany and London, or the Germanic provinces at the time. They wanted a world war to unite uh, the whole of Europe. We find that other agents that came out to get the working class working towards this as well uh, you always use the willing fools, and we find that uh, Karl Marx was brought over to London to write his Communist Manifesto, and it's even debatable if he wrote it all himself because his name didn't appear on the first couple of issues of it. But we, we find, as I say, that they use all sides, the dialectical process of conflict to bring out uh, basically compromise or treaty there's no such thing, you see, as, as 
holding on to your opinion with these boys. They want you in opposition so that someone will come forward and compromise with them. And then they go on to the next part, and that is the classic thesis, antithesis, and synthesis technique that even communism uses, because communism was uh, uh, set up by the West. Uh, there's lots of documentation, even H.G. Wells, who was all for the creation of the Soviet Union, uh, went over to visit, and he said uh, he, he was all uh, for the fact that, that the U.K., big bankers and the bankers in the U.S. and New York were funding it all. He thought it was just wonderful. So we know that the, the opposition to capitalism was set up by the capitalists themselves at the top, at least the, the group used, who ran capitalism. Exactly. I usually say that uh, when, you know, when we talk about the Hegelian dialectic, it's interesting you know, how much they tell us these things, and yet they still kind of mislead us. I, I usually like to think of it as um, everyone refers to it as problem-reaction-solution. I think it should be called solution problem reaction because of course we know that they introduce well they they know what their preordained solution is and then they go about creating a problem that will cause a reaction we'll bring to allow to, that's right in other words exactly. what you do is you look at the chessboard and you know where you want to go and you must get your player your, your opposition to make the move you want them to make it's as simple as that but however if you look into the whole theory of the dialectic you see once you arrive at the conclusion or the synthesis you must, that, that will in turn create a new thesis, which you start on. Right. So it's a never-ending story towards what they call progress. Now, progress yep. is never defined by the ordinary people. But all the top boys will mention this term progress, which means they have a plan in mind. We have to realize this. Brings to and mind Fabius the turtle, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, yes, one step back. That's right. And, and, of course, um, this is how the world is played. But today, with the massive um, socialization of uh, all Western countries, we we're totally socialized. Mm -hmm. And the government bureaucracies are, are they're like cancers. They sprout up and grow and suck from us, and then they end up bossing us around. And now, all of these institutions, including government, remember, are supposed to be there on our sufferance. In other words, we are supposed to decide what they do for us. And within a short space of time, mainly between World War II and the present, uh, they've helped us all forget that. And now we think that there is some kind of natural authority. Only our acceptance of what they do to us allows them to continue. And so they've, they've basically turned the populace into children. And As a that was the technique that Bertrand Russell and many of the big players working for the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is a branch of the Secret Service, um, said they would do they would they would encourage egocentric behavior, uh, so that the adults would never become truly mature. They'd go out yeah. and play forever, and government was taking over the role as the father. I was I was encouraged uh, this year earlier this year to start reading Arnold J Toynbee, who of course I, I referred to as the gatekeeper of knowledge, mm -hmm. back from about 25 to 55. And you mentioned the science; it's 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 shocking and frightening when you start reading as you as you point out all the time what these people have written and how absolutely precise the science is at this point, um, yeah. as you point out all the time. And as a good example. 
um, of what you just mentioned about how, you know, the fraud is perpetrated before us and because we allow it. I've mentioned a few times that um, during the AIG bailout um, hearings by the, over, the House Oversight Committee, Chairman Waxman in the second panel of that hearing had the two crooks, the two former CEOs in front of him. In the first minute, he introduces them by saying, we're pleased to welcome both of you to the hearing. We're pleased to welcome the criminals. But then he swears them in. And immediately after swearing them in, he says, before we even begin, I'd like the police officer in charge to take the person who's holding up the sign and let's get that out, cleared out before, you know, cleared out of the room right now. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Yes, it is. Once again to Road Warrior Radio and my guest this evening or this morning, of course, Alan Watt, host of Cutting Through the Matrix on the Republic Broadcasting Network three uh, evenings a week, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 7 to 8 Central. And uh, before we went out, I, I I don't know if I got cut off, but just in case to kind of tag on to what you were saying, I was mentioning you know, the way that this fraud is perpetrated before us and and because we allow it, you know, Chairman Waxman swearing in the two uh, former CEOs of AIG saying that, you know, we're, we're pleased to welcome both of you to the hearing. And then the lady that supposedly, this was the point really, that the supposedly uh, Waxman and Congress work for, her, his employer, you know, she's standing at the back of the room looking for justice. And he says, before we even begin, I'd like the police officer in charge to take the person who's holding up the sign and let's let's get that cleared out of the room right now. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Yes. You see, you see the, the, these characters are so cocksure of themselves now. Yes. And so arrogant that they rule us, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't. When they're not employed by us. They believe they're they rule us, and they're acting like kings and queens and. Uh, the court jesters used to do in, in times gone by. Uh, mm-hmm. And as long as we accept that new impression, it's all perception, you see, how you're mm-hmm. taught to perceive things, uh, then you will um, act like a child who's been taught to be the parent. And mm-hmm. that's the technique they're using on the public from every part of government today. Uh, they're, they're, they're now enforcement agencies, for instance, whereas before uh, they were basically peacekeeping services um, we look all around us and everything is enforcement uh, from the government all the way down. Every government department and, and even the bureaucracies are into enforcement, including the housing uh, departments and so on. They don't come and go with the public anymore. They dictate policy and tell you what to get done or else. Uh, and, and that's how it's being done. So these agencies within government um, are really, you can understand there's a parallel government existing within the United States. It, it's separate and yet within it at the same time. And one of the main organizations is all through the U.S., from federal to even to local level, 
in some places is the Council on Foreign Relations, which is just the branch, the American branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, a private organization that works for the high elite. And you have all the top aristocracy of Europe in it. You have all the media barons in it and TV media barons. Um, this is pretty well sewn up. They have uh, people on top of your educational system. They're all members of it. Everybody's on board with the same agenda. And you'll find Rhodes Scholars all through your bureaucracy. I think there's 200 uh, federal employees within your bureaucracy in the U.S. that are Rhodes Scholars for world government. Here they are working inside your government for world government. And it's not a, simply a matter of let's all be friends, shake hands, and share our apples and oranges. It's a matter of a planned future society that's meant mm -hmm. to serve them. And that's the word they use throughout their writings from the CFR. They're bringing in a world of service. You would be born to serve the world state. And I don't think and people realize how serious this is. I agree. I agree. And, um, you know, I, I've mentioned recently, um, as I know, you have obviously um, Gardner's uh, uh, hard road to world order back in 74 yeah. uh, from the foreign affairs and um, him mentioning that, you know, it would be um, the way that they were going to do it was to make it seem chaotic, basically. And then, you know, now we're to the point where he said basically it would be brought back together. All of these pieces would seem to be formed in, in a disjunctive sort of a fashion and then to be reassembled. And we see that happening now uh, in, in every facet, in every way. Um, every, every facet. I mean, you think of all the, the, the present crises that are happening at the same time. You see, that's impossible unless it's planned that way. Yeah. Uh, the economic crisis, you have crisis with employment. Well, they knew that was coming when they signed the GATT Treaty and put all the factories in China. These guys don't make mistakes at the top. But you're right, and, and, and the, the, the theory of chaos is ordo ab chaos. And so you must create the chaos, what appears to be chaos to the public, and as you say, then you reassemble the bricks at the other side into this marvelous new building, the new society. And, and that's, that's what they're doing. Bush Sr. said it in so many lectures. The first one is on September the 11th, 1990. They love that date. And he said yeah. that the New World Order is coming into view. And then he repeats it one year later on September the 11th in 91, the same thing. And, of course, not one media person asked him what he meant by this New World Order coming into view. Well, you find the answer from Gorbachev, because Gorbachev gave a speech recently at one of the big world meetings, and he was rather ticked off that the U.S. was not fulfilling its obligation to become a new American empire for this century, because the U.S.'s job was to bring in this compromised Soviet capitalist system, this new system, worldwide. Right, we're going to have and to carry on that thought right on the other side of the break. Yes. Stick around. We'll be right back with my, my guest, Alan Watt. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Welcome back once again to Road Warrior Radio with my guest, Alan Watt, host of Cutting Through the Matrix on the Republic Broadcasting Network three days a week, as I said, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 7 to 8 Central. And uh, Alan has, um, man, we, we benefit in so many ways, has basically in my words, dedicated um, his life. You know, this research is his life's work, and like I said, it it flows from him like it's second nature. It makes it sound so easy, and yet it's it's a compendium of information that um, is, you know, I would say would take several lifetimes to put together. It's and so it's it's a it's an honor and a pleasure to have him on the show. Um, you can learn more if you want to find out more about. Uh, you can listen to his shows. Obviously, you can uh, go to republicbroadcasting.org and in the archives, you'll find his show, his, uh, links to each one of his shows. But you can also go to his website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And uh, RBN also has your website so or your uh, email address. So if folks want to get in touch with you, is, is it okay if we put that out too? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, Alan Watt, cuttingthrough at yahoo.com? Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, as I was saying, uh, it is a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. And you're mentioning Gorbachev, and I know that you have mentioned that before. You talked about it yesterday, for example. And before I forget, though, um, for those who don't know you or or maybe aren't familiar with uh, your background and that you came from the music industry, yeah, which which always, at least for me and probably you know for you and some others, brings to mind Tavistock, mm-hmm. uh, the you know the mainstream music industry. And uh, whenever I think Tavistock, I immediately think of a quote by John Lennon when he said, "Our society is run by insane people for insane objectives." I think we're being run by maniacs for maniacal ends. And I think I'm liable to be put away as insane for expressing that. That's what's insane about it. Yeah, that's true. And you see, it's all culture control. People, people think whatever culture that they're born into is quite natural because it exists simply because it exists. And uh, they don't realize that culture has always been guided by those at the top. And that goes for even what you think is rebellious culture, uh, such as music and so on. That was, that was all done for specific purposes to target the young uh, and to separate them from the older generations. They, they talked about this openly at the time, even in mainstream media, that this uh, new, the pop or rock culture when it came out would literally create a new type of human with brand new values and the older types with contaminated obsolete values would simply die off and the new ones would come through. Of course, the young ones never realized their new values had been already written for them too in order so that they could never really bond, have families of their own, and their lives would be pretty disastrous, um, all according to a plan, once again, for partial depopulation, but mainly because the family unit and the real communities that that surrounded the families, because we're all families at one time, were, were too close to the tribal societies where they'd stand up for each other. And that caused problems when government wants total control over the individual. To get the individual, you must separate them from everyone else. 
and that's what they've been very successful in doing. Plato talked about this science in his book called The Republic, and how uh, even in his day he said that certain um, arts should be licensed like music because with the proper use it could make the young rebel when required, and therefore they should be licensed because of the tremendous power it had over them. But drama and the visual arts and all the rest of it um, was well understood, and plays were actually vetted by the elite to see if they'd have the right effect on the public before they were shown. So you understand that all incoming information, especially in fiction, anything you enjoy, it probably has a more profound effect on you than anything you'll read in nonfiction, and therefore uh, certain facts can be attached to stories or dramas coupled with emotion which embed themselves in your brain and then affect your personality. You will emulate what you see. And Plato even talked about the fashion industry that they also used in the drama shows to show off the latest fashions, knowing the public would emulate them. This is all well understood. So nothing in our, in our reality is truly, has truly evolved by itself. If anything, Plato said that, that um, anything that came from the grassroots would have to be eliminated at the beginning because it would be outside the control of the elite. So we live in an age where uh, we take everything for granted, but in fact, it's a pre-planned, manufactured reality we live in. And it's, and it's and full of deception. It's run by stealth and very clever people who are taught these sciences. You can levels. actually find uh, in the documentation from places like Rand especially um, the, the absolute science. I mean, it's a scientific. They have it down to a logarithmic equation, yes. uh, yeah. what you're talking about, where basically if you... Um, I mean, I've seen, I can't remember the name of the report, I could probably grab it real quick, but where they have a dot cluster, for example, mm -hmm. and if you say and do things at a grassroots level that cause a certain response, that as you, you mentioned um, Huxley, for example, and the way that he said that there are the, those 20% the of highly suggestible people and a demagogue that might stir them up could organize them, if you're a person that can cause that to happen, and you, you know, based on the logarithms, could cause that you fall within the dot cluster while well, you have to be eliminated. Yeah, Matsu Tong said something similar. He said he was not afraid of massive armies or, or weaponry. He was more yeah. afraid of a big idea that would come from some unexpected source and spread like wildfire across the world. And that is true. We find the same thing with Lord Bertrand Russell, who stated that they would have to catch these very young, intelligent ones with leadership qualities at school, try to bring them on board working on behalf of the elite, leaving their families behind, he said, and if they would not do that, they'd have to be disposed of. I, I'm nobody. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself somebody who's on the radar, but I have actually seen that um, in, in uh, dealings with certain people that I know are basically in the employ of those yeah. folks, I've, I've watched them squirm and wriggle, so to speak, because uh, they know that there's a difference between us, shall I say? I mean, I'm not, yeah. I know what they know, but not because I was spoon-fed it. And mm -hmm. so there's a creative force and some work that went into it that they don't have, and they're, they're fearful of it. Just like you said, you know, about how Mao Zedong yes. said that, the report. 
report I was talking about is uh, Rand Arroyo Research um, technical report. It's titled Allocation of Forces, Fires, and Effects Using Genetic Algorithms. Mm -hmm. And what in the world is a genetic algorithm? That's right. You know? Mm -hmm. Anyway. Oh, yeah, but well, the thing is, Rand Corporation, now he's another private organization that literally ran uh, the public society uh, and culture on behalf of the U.S. government all throughout the Cold War. And they based the whole Cold War strategy, supposedly, on game theory. And game theory was truly um, the idea of a mathematician who was also a paranoid schizophrenic. They made the movie about him, uh, a beautiful mind, I think they called it. A total, mm-hmm. a total um, made-up uh, jest of the real man. The real man was a horrible character. But this is what they based their game theory on. And they did all of these surveys on society using the computers during the Cold War. And they came to the conclusion that we as individuals uh, had no real uh, human qualities. We were simply uh, automatons that like to eat and drink and be merry. We were egocentric. And therefore, if they kept us in that kind of state, they would leave, we would leave the bigger things of how we were managed to the government. And to an extent, they were right, uh, because they did encourage the egocentric behavior, narcissism. Narcissism is very, very good when you want to have people live their lives, a whole generation, without thinking of what's really going on outside of their immediate circle. And so they were running rampant uh, through that whole 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s era with their foundations, with their non-governmental organizations, and now they're basically dictating public policy and handing it over to government. They're training government officials, in fact, uh, and having their their, their, um, public policy. So we don't have democracy in any way, shape, or form. Um, even in the countries that are supposedly democratic, like Canada, it's never existed. We've always been run by these higher societies, very secretive at the top, more publicly known uh, on the way down. But even the ones like the Council on Foreign Relations, um, they do publish their own uh, findings often to the public uh, through, the, through their own magazine, but they don't tell you all of the truth. I have their old books from the 1930s where they go through uh, the whole strategy century by century, uh, including the setting up of China in the 1930s. They said that after the war and and eventually towards the end of the millennium, uh, they would make China, they'd build them up to possibly be the manufacturer for the planet. So we we, we truly, everything is worked out uh, before we're even born and is implemented through these non-governmental organizations, these big, incredibly well-funded uh, foundations, which are backed by the old, old European aristocracy to the hilt. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you've pointed out, uh, you know, I think it was Bertrand Russell who said the reason that the old oligarchy or the old uh, dictatorship was not... Uh, uh, perpetual was because they weren't able to offer enough bread and circuses and now they weren't going to have that problem anymore because obviously as you've mentioned which is another thing we should get into that the TV, now they have that the greatest propaganda tool ever devised as you have said mm-hmm. where they can literally hypnotize people and make them do what they want without them even knowing it 
And now, of course, you know, the printing of endless fiat, those two together, um, endless bread and circus. And, you know, it was interesting. A guy said to me recently, uh, we were talking about what's going on, and he said, it's bad, but, you know, it's not bad enough to where people um, are going to figure it out. You know, the Simpsons are still on. And I said, no, no. What you don't understand is they're they're going to keep the Simpsons on, and there will be five or ten more, because that's part of the Red Circus. Uh, that is right. Uh, Bread and circuses are, are done uh, through television mainly, and through all entertainment. In fact, uh, that's all it is: is, is Bread and circuses. And uh, um, most people spend so much time in front of that television; their whole what they think is reality comes from it. Uh, they've been trained even not to question the, the main newscasters that come on. And um, there's even retired mainstream uh, newscasters up on YouTube uh, belonging to the World Federalist Association talking about their world plans and how they've always been part of it. Uh, and these are mainstream characters. You know. So uh, everyone you see has a, a role to play Anyone who has a, the ability to get into your mind or put suggestions into your mind has a big role to play in conditioning you. We are all truly being conditioned each time you switch the television on. And even through all the entertainment, including the comedies, there are suggestions and political correctness creeps into it. And the little buzzwords and catchphrases come through it and you start to repeat them too. As monkey see, monkey do very old technique, it works very, very well. And uh, meanwhile, too, the, the flicker rate in the old version television um, was synchronized to match alpha waves in the brain, the human brain. And you couldn't really see it uh, when it was functioning properly, but if you used the old uh, video cameras with tape and taped them, you would see the flicker. It's the same thing you'll see with a computer. It's a yep. built-in flicker rate. That's not there by accident. Uh, they could have picked any other type of frequency rate, but they picked the one that affects the alpha state of the brain, which puts you into a hypnotic state. And this is perfectly well understood amongst the scientists and those at the top and those who design them. But um, with the new high-definition television, it's even more enthralling because it, it alters the visual cortex uh, in so many ways and gives you perceptions you wouldn't see before. It literally hypnotizes you into a, a more drugged state. And that's what they want. That's why it was mandatory. Why can, how come a government can come out and demand that every company that broadcasts must go high definition? I mean, it's not supposed to be free enterprise. When government say it, it says it by law, um, then there's a, a different agenda at work here. And it truly is an amazing tool. I've watched children with their jaws hanging open watching cartoons. Cartoons which have all the, the, the politically correct and viral speak in it all through it. And, and if people, the parents talk to their children, the children will ignore them. They don't even hear them. So that's the effect of television and, and, and what it does to us. So I, uh, as it's, a... it's getting worse and worse and worse. And, and more technical too. There are far more scientific um, characters working uh, above producers and with producers now, too, psychologists as well, and even psychiatrists and behavioral specialists working to make even your, your little comedy shows that you see uh, all to program you. Yeah. 
Unbelievable. And for folks that uh, might wonder, you know, I was mentioning we're just about to go into a break. I might have to wait on this or, or come back to it. But I, I mentioned to you, I never, I never take notes on people's shows. I listen intently um, to a lot of information, but I actually took notes um, on your show on the 15th of February this year. And this is one of the things you were talking about, the fact that TV is hypnotic, it's designed to match brainwaves, that cartoons uh, indoctrinate. You mentioned the sound bites, the flashing frames, and that they target all uh, age audiences are, that they're specifically targeted. Yeah. And, um, you know, like you said, I mean, you start to read their writings, and it's, it's just it's shocking how scientific and, like you said, how... Uh, there, there are you know billions upon billions of dollars that are poured into more and more research to even refine what is complete overkill. You know the science of it in hyperdrive, but yes, yeah. it truly is. <laughs> Never stop. And, and we buy it. We we buy all the tools that help to enslave us, and we enjoy it. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, folks, stick around. We'll be right back. With more uh, from my guest, Alan Watt, host of Cutting Through the Matrix on the Republic Broadcasting Network. back to the final segment of the first hour with my guest Alan Watt, host of Cutting Through the Matrix on the Republic Broadcasting Network three evenings a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 7 to 8 Central. And uh, During the break I was mentioning that there was a young lady that called me today, was asking about uh, this letter that she received from the Rhodes Foundation, was asking if I knew anything. Um, And of course, you know, I as I was saying, I mentioned, you know, it's probably what they're offering is similar probably to the Rhodes Scholarship. Um, you know, they'll offer you money and you'll get the best education, but then you'll you'll be their puppet. You'll parrot their rhetoric. And what was interesting is that she's someone who, who knows a little bit about what's going on. She knows quite a bit, actually. And she said, we were talking about it, and she's, you know, we were talking about some other things, and she said, this is crazy what's going on, because I said, based on... This is really what sparked it. I, I said, based on what's going on in the in the legislation that's just been passed, mark my words, probably within three years, I would say much, much sooner than that, um, bread's probably going to be 100 bucks a loaf. And she went, oh, my God. And I said, that's just what they do. I mean, look at the historical record. And she said, well, do you think, is there a chance that someone will... Um, expose what's going on. And I said, it's been done a hundred thousand times. And then I started mentioning all of their documents that they publish. I, I said, Rand, uh, 
the, the Beginner's Guide to Nation Building. And I said, look, here's another document from Rand that talks about uh, uh, after Saddam is the title of it, pre-war planning in Iraq. After Saddam, pre-war planning? I mean, this is before a war, and this is planning for after Saddam, all before it even before there's even a war that was not uh, even declared by Congress. Yeah. And so I said, you know, there's plenty to arrest people already, mm-hmm. right? There's plenty to arrest them, but of course it, it can happen because they're above uh, the yeah. laws that affect ordinary people, and that's the key to it. You see, uh, these are elitist groups which are are given. Um, really above board carte blanche powers to rule society on behalf of their masters that's the key to it they do have masters all these big think tanks and we have to go back to Britain because Britain had societies as far back as the 1500s that truly uh, they fomented wars across the world even in those days and they worked on behalf of royalty and the hundreds of royal families and cousins and so on that are attached to the aristocracy, in other words. They, they eventually uh, call themselves Rosicrucians at the time of uh, Francis Drake and Walter Raleigh. They were all pirates, too. They were allowed to plunder gold from other countries and put it in the coffers of the queen. Uh, this eventually uh, merged into a society that's called the Royal Society, the Royal Society, Francis Bacon uh, and later uh, Isaac Newton joined, and they are the world's, today, the world's most prestigious science, uh, science club you can possibly be asked into. It's royally chartered. You cannot use the name royal unless the royal family charter you and give you permission to use it on their behalf. And every top scientist that runs the world and all of the expert areas, including that of the mind, belong to the Royal Society, and that in turn is a branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which came out of the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, very important organization. Stick around, folks. We'll be right back. <laughs> 